I would like to ask you a question, a question I'm gonna ask you this whole week. If no one was listening, and if no one was around, and you were gonna write down on a scale of one to 10, are you happy? Where would you mark it? If you're like a lot of Americans, we're struggling with happiness, and we're trying to figure out uh, why is it that we're not necessarily happy, even though theoretically we should be happy. So if you look theoretically, this is what happens when your parents give you like broccoli or it's evil stepchild like cauliflower and they put it before you as a kid and they say, you should enjoy this. And you say, I don't really like it. But they say there are starving kids in Africa. The intention is that just because you have food, theoretically you should enjoy the food that you have. Now, you can debate whether or not kids in Africa would like your broccoli or cauliflower. I don't think they would, but what does it get us to? Look around. Theoretically, we should be happy. We've got, uh, most people have cars. Most people have a house. Most people, if you look at the stats, have a job. Most of us are married to great people, and you're saying, like, why is it that I struggle with happiness? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you just don't know my situation. Like, I would be happy, except I'm struggling with... Um, I'm sick and I'm going to die. Let's just make it extreme. I'm going to die in six months. Well, no matter what your situation, I know someone in a worse situation. I know someone who's going to die in less than two months. And you're saying, well, I lost a husband. I personally know someone who's lost two husbands. And you're saying my child is sick. And I know people who have lost multiple kids. And you're saying, okay, okay. Theoretically, I should be happy. This is really hard to do unless you have some point of comparison. So when I was a kid and I would get maybe a skin rash or a bump on my skin, I would go into this big oak cab and I just stayed at my parents' house and it's still there. The glass doors, I open it up, I go to the bottom shelf. And on the bottom shelf is the medical guide. And so I open it up and I'd look up, you know, like rash, page, 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 you get there. And the pictures of the example rashes are so overwhelming that I would shut it and I would put it back and I would say a short prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the diseases you have given me. See what happened right there? Instead of looking around at all the world and what it has to offer, you just take a look at what God has given you. And as a Christian, what do you have? If you're the only one on this planet, God would have come and saved you. Though your skin and your sins are like scarlet, they're as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, your sins are sent of army. You are a child of the risen God who's going to live with him for eternity. And you know what? That makes me pretty happy. But I'm not quite sure happiness is the thing we should be looking for. So let's talk about it this week. How do we handle depression and how do we get through these things in this world where we struggle so much? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us stop looking at what's going on in the world and instead just look at what you've made us. In you, we are your sons, we are your daughters, we are forgiven, and you have given us the privilege to be on this planet, to serve you, and to be with you for eternity. Though our, skins, our sins were like scarlet, they're as white as snow. Amen. Got another question for you. I want to know what would make you happy. Just yesterday we asked if you were happy. And a lot of us struggle with happiness, even though theoretically we should be happy. But what would make you happy right now? And I, usually you can do that by answering this question. I would be happy when? And that varies for a lot of people. I would be happy when I lose a few pounds or uh, if I made the varsity or if I got a new job or if we were able to buy a house or if I had a little bit more money. This is all kind of this concept that happiness is like way, way, way out there. I'm here and I got to kind of pick various paths to try and get there. And so we do, right? So we say, okay, I'm going to lose a few pounds. That's going to make me happy. Or I'm going to work a little bit harder. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to watch Dave Ramsey and get out of debt. And, and then I'm going to be on this side of like the river, right? I'm going to finally get over there and I'm finally going to be happy. Well, what happens when you finally do get there? 
Like if you actually get what you want, one of two things, A, the can just gets kicked farther and farther down the road, or if you ultimately really do get there, I'm not sure it's gonna work. This is from Jim Carrey, the comedian, and I think I've shared it before. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. This week we're talking about happiness, and I'm not sure happiness is the thing we should be pursuing because happiness is always going to be there or happiness is based on circumstances. The way that Christians talk about it and the way that the Bible talks about it is kind of like this, and I think it makes sense. Happiness is circumstance. You're eating a good meal. You're on vacation. Your dog is really nice and people are nice to you. Someone gives you a compliment that makes you happy. This is a circumstantial item. The way that the Bible talks about it is from the perspective of joy. Joy is outside of circumstance. This is a contentment regardless of the situation that you're in. Regardless if you get the new job or you lose a few pounds or you make the varsity team. So what does this mean? Paul gives us this mandate really in the book of Philippians. This is 4.4. He says, rejoice always. It's pretty intense. But he also tells us how to do this. I didn't read the full verse. This is the real verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. So what is he trying to tell us? Regardless of our outside circumstances, regardless if you get a new job or if you have money or you look better or you don't uh, have sickness, take all those things outside the picture and in Christ we have everything we need to find true joy and true contentment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have given us everything we need to find true contentment and to find true joy. It's not a matter of, I will be happy when. Instead, let's be joyful now because we know our sins are covered up in you. We have total forgiveness and we get to live in a freedom as your sons and daughters. We ask this in your name. Amen. I, I don't quite get it, but I just saw a stat that said the United States is the most depressed country in the whole world. But I do live it. When I talk to people and I deal with people and I'm counseling with people, more and more we see more and more anxiety and we see more depression. If you keep looking at the stats, there's depression among the young and the old. And we see depression in school-age kids. We see kids who are out of school. We see people with their first jobs. People just struggle with this, uh, with this feeling. And they say 10% of the U.S. roughly is clinically depressed. I think that's the stat. So what are we wrestling with? Uh, why is it then, it, you would think, at least if you're doing some math, the people who are depressed, if we have that many, must have the worst circumstances that you can imagine. They, you must kind of lay it all out. And then of all the people on this planet, the ones who have it the worst would be the most depressed. But I don't think that's the case. If you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, he, at one point in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it is, he goes through this whole list of things that he struggled with. He says he's faced the Jewish lashes 40 minus 1. He says that he's been shipwrecked. He says that he's been stoned. He says that he's been left for dead and hungry and thirsty. And all of these things, like the list goes on and on and on and on. And he comes to this conclusion still to say rejoice in the Lord always. And you're like, what is going on? I may have finally figured it out. After 20-some years of being in ministry, I used to think that the devil would work hardest and break people who faced difficult, difficult circumstances. But what I found, the people who are abandoned, the people who are suffering, the people who are close to meeting their maker often have the most joy and the most contentment in Christ. And it doesn't really make sense unless you think of it this way. When you have everything, 
it's really hard to tell what is good. But when some of this stuff and all of it gets stripped away except what is essential, then you can see that your true joy comes in Christ. I don't know where your situation, it could be terrible. You could be facing job loss and pain and suffering and divorce and you could be facing all these troubles and you're thinking, I'll never find joy in my life again. But what I found in experience is sometimes the door to joy comes through suffering. I think this is how they said it in the book of Hebrews. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, talking about Christ. Christ saw the joy of suffering for you and let's thank him for doing that just for you. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for suffering and recognizing that uh, there was something bigger than the, your immediate gratification, but instead there was a deeper meaning that you lived this perfect life and you went all the way to the cross so that we could have a different perspective when we look at our life. And sometimes that means as we step through and we wade through and we get refined through suffering, it means all these other things get stripped away and we can see that the true essential thing in our life is that you give us everything we need to find that joy. Help us find joy this day as we serve you. Amen. I was just reading a book the other day called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke and I'm stealing this question from her so I want to play a game. Do you want to play a game? It's would you rather, would you rather have $70,000 in 1900 or $70,000 today? Okay, I'm not going to go through the whole thing but you've got your idea and you're thinking, oh, this is a trick question. I'm going to pick $70,000 in 1900. That's what a lot of people do because the average salary in 1900 was 450 bucks. So this is fantastic and you would have mountains and mountains of cash. However, you could either pick to be mountains and mountains of cash in 1900 or just be a little above average in today. But what's the difference? The average lifetime in 1900 is like 40 years. You don't have that computer that's in your pocket. You don't have penicillin and you don't have like the ability to go and visit and go on these awesome vacations like you do today. So which would you rather have now? Normally, we would say to ourselves, the thing that makes me happy is if I just have, you know, certain things or I get a certain way. We talked about that, like these bridges and trying to get over there. But here's the problem. That uh, there's a researcher, I can't pronounce her name, I actually practiced and I couldn't, I still couldn't get it. So she did research that said, we, 90% of our happiness does not come from the stuff we have. That's only about 8 to 10%. 90% of our happiness comes from comparing ourselves to others. And that kind of works for a while, right? It does work for a while. You've got, you've got more than someone else. You feel good about yourself. You just want to be a little bit better than someone else, a little bit smarter, a little bit prettier, have a little bit more stuff. But if you think about it, how hard is it to find someone who's got better or nicer stuff than you do? It's not hard. They put, uh, not necessarily causation, but correlation between the depression rates that we're facing today, more depressed than ever, more anxiety than ever, and the advent of social media. Because what happens? You just scroll through a page and you just take this look and you see someone's most refined, best moments, right? They're on some Caribbean cruise and you're sitting next to a pile of laundry. What has happened? You see their best self and your worst self. It was either Theodore Roosevelt or a bumper sticker on a Ferrari that said this, comparison is the thief of joy. So what do we have to do? It's probably time to stop comparing ourselves to what other people have and accepting who we are. And you know how that starts? It starts with faith and I mean that this way. Faith is simply trusting what God says about you is true and here's what God says about you in 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. 
That's what God says about you. You are already accepted. You are already enough. You don't have to worry about what the world is doing. God says, this is just right. And find joy in that. Let's pray. Uh, dear Jesus, there are so many people that seem to have more gifts than we have, more money than we have, more stuff than we have, and it can kind of sink us down into this hole of depression. Instead, pull us back up and stop chasing these fleeting things, but instead find joy and contentment and who you say we are and help us to trust completely what that says, that we are not only accepted, but we are your children. We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, this week we've been talking about happiness and the question is simply this. We've talked about it theoretically, but how do I become happier today? I think that's, that's a legit question. And I think we might have to look at it backwards. There's kind of a dad joke thing. Now that I'm a dad, it, it, it's, oh, it's still corny. But the guy goes to the doctor and he, I can picture my dad telling me this joke. And then he points to his shoulder and he says, okay, this hurts. Then he points to his head and he says, this hurts. You know, like my chest hurts. And the doctor says, you have a broken finger, which is, okay, if you actually laugh, that's kind of funny. So he has this deal, here's his problem and he doesn't recognize that's his problem. And I think for a lot of us, when we try and find out like what's gonna make me happier, we're trying to always think about like, oh, in the distance, this would make me happier, this would make me happier, that, or you know, down this path or whatever it is. But in reality, there might just be something deeper that needs to be diagnosed. And I think most people who really, really struggle, not just clinical depression, I'm just saying like generally don't feel that great. You struggle with a possible guilt, possible shame, regret, hang-ups, hurts, addiction, something really kind of deep. And this affects everybody. When you look at the kings, if you know the kings of the Bible, and King David's probably the most famous of the king, and the way they describe him is he is a man after the Lord's own heart. And you're like, well, what does that mean when this is an adulterer who's behind a murder plot and does all these things? What you find when you look at the life of David versus any of the other kings that I can think of is that when confronted with his own sin, he confesses those sins. So I want to look at it before and after that David feels. And this is in Psalm 32. This is before he confesses his sins. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Like this is physically affecting him. And I bet you've been there. You've physically been affected by this weight and this guilt. But then he describes what happens afterwards. He says, blessed is the one. Really, we could say joyful is the one. Joyful, so I'm going to change it. Joyful is the one whose transgressions, whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered up. Joyful is the one whose sin the Lord has not, does not count against him, in whose spirit is no deceit. There is a reason why Christians for millennia have been confessing their sins to one another and hearing a very simple truth, that, that sin is like a weight. And God is saying, I want to take that weight from you so that you can live in freedom and joy and contentment and happiness. So how is that possible? Because of the very God we've been talking about, the thing that you know you have, a God who came to this earth, who died on the cross just for you, who rose again to prove that it is true and says, I want you to live with me forever. So let's thank him for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us perspective. The weight of sin and guilt can be heavy upon us. More than all these things of this world, more than comparison, these deep, deep needs, help us recognize what this is and be believers after your own heart. Lay these out before you and know that those two were put on the cross and completely taken away so we get to live in a freedom 
Give us a joy and give us a contentment and give us this attitude that says we want to serve you and find that this is where true satisfaction lies. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here with Time of Grace. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast and we'd love for this podcast to be a blessing to you in the days to come. So if you could share this podcast, subscribe so that every episode ends up in your feed or just leave us a review, we would love more and more people to hear this message so that their lives can be surrounded and blessed by the grace of God. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.